Hey, Breakthrough listeners, it's Jason Lowe and Peter Lount from episode number 107. At Ascendant Financial, mybankersvault.com, we specialize in teaching real estate investors across Canada the process of becoming your own banker, the infinite banking concept. Do you also find it frustrating when it's difficult to access the financing you need or when the housing market moves against you? And when there's unexpected prolonged vacancy or expensive repairs, are you tired of transferring all that money away from you? We have the solution at mybankersvault.com. By becoming your own banker, anything that you are already doing financially, including real estate investing, is radically improved. Whether utilizing this process for down payments or for entire real estate purchases, becoming your own banker puts you in a position to control the repayment schedule on your loans while enhancing your overall returns. Whether you are brand new to real estate or a seasoned investor, we believe that ready access to money and financial control should be in your hands not the banks or a loan officer. We have an exclusive and irresistible package for Breakthrough Podcast listeners. If you want the best way to build and deploy capital, easier access to money, better returns, and less headaches, head on over to mybankersvault.com. That's mybankersvault.com. Hey guys, Omar Khan here with Beta Trading Co. I wanted to tell you about episode 124 of the Breakthrough Podcast. We currently have a special offer for Breakthrough Podcast listeners. We're offering a free one-hour live training session where we show how to instantly add stock options as a new income stream. Now, I've used this myself personally over the years to create a sizable real estate portfolio for myself, and there's no reason you can't as well. The cool thing is it only takes about 30 minutes a day, so if you have a job, or if you have a business, or you're just spending a lot of time with your family, you're going to have time to incorporate this in your life if you take the time to learn this, okay? Now... We're also offering a 15-minute free consultation to discuss how our option strategy can work with your current investment strategy and really take your investment to the next level, okay? So for more information, check out 30minutesstocktrader.com forward slash breakthrough to join us on our free live training, our next webinar. Remember again, episode 124, where Sandy and I go over exactly how I use this strategy to acquire a large real estate portfolio for myself, and there's no reason why you can't as well. See you there, guys. Talk soon. If you're looking for the skills and tools to succeed in real estate investing, you've come to the right place. This show is about breaking through barriers, breaking through limiting beliefs, and breaking through to the life that you want to live through the power of real estate investing. This is the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. And now, here are your hosts, Rob Brake and Sandy McKay. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for joining us today. We are super happy to be here again together to share some real estate knowledge, advice, counseling, mentorship, whatever you want to call it. We've got it all. Uh, we've got it all, right, Sandy? We've got it all. We're back for another uh, awesome show. And I think uh, really exciting to have our, our guests uh, on with us in a couple of minutes and uh, talking about some, I think it's a really interesting topic. And uh, yeah, we'll get to them in a bit. As always, want to remind everyone to go over to our our website and uh, pick up some free gifts there, breakthroughrapodcast.ca, and uh, they can get our free our free uh, download there and also get in our on our email list so they never miss out on a show or anything else we got going on. And uh, and you'll get our, our free download there, the ultimate strategy for building wealth through real estate. Absolutely. And, you know, as always, it helps a lot if people go over to iTunes, leave us a rating and review. We appreciate that a lot. So many of you have done it and we are grateful. We got lots of five-star reviews and uh, and just want to thank everybody for that. But if you haven't done it, you know, take a couple minutes, go over and uh, just let us know what you think. It doesn't have to be five stars. Probably will be, hopefully, if you're feeling in a good mood today. Maybe after this show, you'll be more prone to give us five stars. I don't know. Yeah. Hopefully. But uh but uh, yeah, so go over to iTunes and uh, and leave us a rating and review. That helps a lot. What's what's new with you, Sandy? What do you got going on? Well, nothing as exciting as you. I don't know if you're sharing this stuff yet, what you're up to. But uh, we're just um, grinding away here through through a pandemic and trying to pick up a few good properties. Sold a couple um, duds lately, actually. That's kind of, I don't know if that's exciting or not. But it's a good time to sell the duds. I haven't, I, we haven't sold that much like ever. So it's kind of... Yeah feels weird to sell stuff, but it's um, kind of feels good actually in a way um, mm. to get a couple of good hits of, of, of cash because we haven't, we've never really sold much. So it's, it's a bit it's different. different. I, I, think, yeah. I think it's a good time for sure. I mean, 
you know, we'll probably regret a couple of them in five, 10 years, but you know, if no, you're okay. moving on to bigger and better, I'm sure you're not just parking that money mm-hmm. in the bank. You'll be, yeah. you'll be reinvesting it into something, you know, uh, bigger and better. Something. Yeah. Something good. Hopefully. What about you? Yeah. I mean, since it's official now, I guess we'll, we'll go ahead and say it. So, uh, yeah, we're going to be, I'm going to be splitting my time between here and Costa Rica as much as I can anyways. Um, so we've, we've sold our house here and, uh, we're going to be heading down again shortly. I've already bought a project house down there, so I'm going to, going to renovate it and, uh, and flip that one and we'll see how it goes. And once we've got the, the proof, then, um, maybe see about talking to some investors about doing the same thing, keep it on going. I mean, there's a lot of, we like, you know, we just got back from there and, uh, yeah. what a month and a bit ago. And, um, and we just fell in love with a particular area. We realized that there was a lot of potential in that area. So um, uh, I've been shopping ever since. And we managed to just the other day tie something up. So we're super pumped. It's just a, it's a reno, basically the same thing as I do here. It's just in a different location. So we're looking forward Amazing. to it. Exciting. That's going to be fun. So you're going to have to build up a new uh brand new studio and everything for the show and uh <laughs> yes. that, right? to rival this one yeah. <laughs> well, that'll be fun so get our listeners can maybe uh follow along with that as we go that's, that's yeah well fun. we'll be talking about it we're going to keep doing the podcast and and uh james here is james kennedy who was on the show a while ago on my team is still going to be here and and working hard to get those investors into uh excellent properties here in peterborough and durham areas so so are you going to be doing any real? Are you going to be selling real estate at all there as a realtor, or is that not possible? I think so. I think I am. There's a Keller down there that I've been looking at, so yeah, uh, I'll probably join the Keller. It's in Tamarindo, and um, it, I got some. You, I got some referrals for you probably then. So that should be that should be fun. <laughs> okay, well, I'll bring them my way. Yeah, yeah, like I mean, so I'm not exactly 100 percent sure on how the uh, the uh, citizenship works but from what i understand i've sort of been in preliminary talks with the lawyer right because we do want to get dual citizenship um is that we will you have to invest a certain amount one of the ways to do it is invest a certain amount into real estate so that's the route we're going to be taking and then as far as i can tell there's not really any real estate agent licensing process um, from the people and the agents that i've been speaking to there you kind of just say, well, I'm going to be a realtor and do it. Um, <laughs> so I guess I'll have a leg up on quite a few of them uh, right from the start. So I, I think it's exciting. Yeah, that's the plan. Going to do some realtor stuff down there as well. It's amazing. Amazing. Mm-hmm. And our, our guests are some people also that were there recently with you, I think. Is that what I heard? Yeah, that's right. They were they were down there at the same time as us. Welcome, guys. Let me let me just uh, you know we're happy to have Neil and Rachel Oliver with us today to talk about among other things Costa Rica, I guess, their recent trip there and uh, the impact that COVID has had with their rent to own investing. So, welcome, guys. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Congratulations on your Surfside project. Yeah, thank you. We actually that's might fair. be your first client. Who knows? <laughs> that would be All wonderful. Right. I was thinking I might beat you to that, but I guess we'll we'll see. Hopefully, uh, I, <laughs> we can find. That's yeah. right. We we will have room right beside us for second place. Well, for for those of uh, you watching and listening who don't know uh, who Neil and Rachel Oliver are, uh, they are full time real estate entrepreneurs. Um, uh, they've done over or almost five hundred rent to own transactions, which is a heck of a ton of rent to own deals, and uh, they both. Both been very active in the business. Uh, Neil is full-time real estate entrepreneur, like I said, best-selling author, and um, more than 20 years in a corporate project management and marketing roles. He turned his full-time focus towards rent-to-own investing and building their personal portfolio to create time freedom. And uh, Rachel, uh, briefly, I'll intro her as well, uh, co-host of Mothers of Real Estate TV show, award-winning rent to investor, 20 years climbing the corporate ladder as well, and then decided to go into this uh, fun journey of real estate investing. And uh, that was in... 2009, I believe. Is that right? And yeah, they've been at it since then and uh, working away 500, almost 500 rent-to-own deals. That's a, a big number. So congrats. And um, and we're here to learn uh, about their journey and uh, how that's maybe got affected by COVID too and uh, and everything in between. So welcome again. And uh, anything to add to those intros? 
I think well, you did a great job. Yeah. Um, I, I think one one of the things that I really am fond of is that I've been given a nickname of Cash Flow Queen over the years. That's, I'm, yeah, nothing. That's, that's, I would accept that. Well, maybe not me. <laughs> but you make well, it's, it's not a bad nickname to have, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Neil Neil has a nickname too. It's a little less glamorous than that, I think. But oh yeah. Much much less glamorous for sure. <laughs> Mr. No is what I get called. Uh, usually just by this one. Uh that's true. But you know what? Like uh I heard that when I when I first was uh, introduced to you, Neil, I was actually scared because I, I thought the whole concept was that uh that you know Rachel was going to be good cop and then you were going to come down on me as bad cop. Right. And sort of like, just, just dig into everything that I had to do. But the fact of the matter is that I don't know how well that nickname suits you. You know, yeah. I, I think it depends on the context. I was going to say in context, that's very important. Saying no to Rachel is basically where the nickname came from. <laughs> it's not about being bad cop. It's, and you know, you're not the only one that said that. Some people are like, oh, you know, I don't know what, what to expect. And I'm like, such an easygoing person. But it's all about all the times that Rachel would come home and say, hey, we should do this. No, we should do this. No, I don't think so. We should do this. No. And then all of a sudden it became your Mr. No. And she started pushing this out there, right, left, and center. And you're right, it's less than flattering, 100%. But uh, I like to call it now Mr. K-N-O-W. So oh. Mr. No, but switch it around a little bit. Wah, 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 wah. Well, I feel like that, that needs a sound bite. <laughs> 11 years in the experience, I've learned one or two things. So I consider myself a little higher. My knowledge is a little bit higher than when, it, when we started, for sure. So... I like to switch gears a little bit with the KNOW. I guess the Mr. No part came in when I would go to real estate investing groups and I'd come home with a crazy idea. Let's do flips. And you'll say no. And then I say, well, let's do second mortgages. No. Let's do, you know, duplexes. No. Let's do fortress investing. No. Like he, he basically shot down a lot of the different ideas that I would gather from all these real estate meetups back way back when we could actually meet. And um, I guess lucky for me, um, is that he did say yes to the one strategy that we have both essentially been invested in and focused on for the last 12 years. So thank goodness he said yes to RTOs. Yeah, my biggest issue is I'm risk adverse. So I don't want to do anything that's going to put our family at risk. So rent to own for me was very risk adverse. It, it, it allowed me to, you know, take a down payment from the tenant buyers it allowed me to hold something that I could dangle in front of them if we ran into issues and as we've kind of gone along the line of the last 11 years basically we've learned how to turn any problem into a solution which is uh you know a key part in investing and that's not something I could do with duplexes or private mortgages I wasn't familiar with that but I had really gotten my teeth into the rent-to-own strategy. So that's why the no's. Uh, and yeah, I'm glad I went this way as well. Although I know that, you know, other investment strategies are also extremely lucrative. Well, let's go way back then. And we'll talk about you, Rachel, you got the bug at one point, um, you know, and, and, and decided to go start learning about it. So share where all that came from. Well, it really, you know, most people kind of, um, are stirred to take action based on a life event. My life event was that I got diagnosed with breast cancer. I was, uh, I, we just had our first child and about three weeks after she was born, I got the news that I have a very aggressive tumor and you know, my life um, kind of got turned upside down. Uh, I lost, lost a sense of control. I lost a sense of feeling that um, I have a future. And that makes you really, you know, reflect on where you are at now and where you're going to be a year from now if you survive. So that was probably the, the key turning point for me to reevaluate. Do I want to continue working 50, 60 hours a week and climbing that corporate ladder for the benefit of my boss? Um, is that really going to, at the end of the day, be worth dying for? And I, I said, no, the answer was no. Um, I had read a lot of books, Rich Dad, Poor Dad uh, was uh, put in my lap when I was just 19 years old. So I already had a pretty good grasp in the back of my mind that real estate was a great vehicle for freedom, time, freedom, control of your finances. And um, that's kind of where I got the idea that, okay, well, if I'm not going to 
continue um, working so hard in my corporate uh, role, I still need a paycheck. I still need to find a way to replace that corporate income. And at, at the time, you know, I, I think I, I think I was earning $120,000 a year. So it was a, a big, you know, a, a big salary that I would be letting go of. And I kind of started looking around, okay, well, how, how could I replace this? Um, so real estate was top of mind, but as I got more invested in researching various opportunities, I very quickly learned that cash flow, active cash flow, was not necessarily part and parcel of every investing strategy. And uh, and I kept digging and Neil kept saying no, and I kept digging and Neil kept saying no. And then one day I found, I met somebody at a meetup group. Um, back then there was only a handful of people hosting meetups. And um, I, I just cornered the guy and I said, hey, you talk about doing rent to owns, You've done, I think at the time he, he had done 20 or so deals. He kept pitching them at this meetup group. I said, I don't want to invest with you, but I want to learn from you. Will you teach me? And uh, luckily he said, yes. Okay. That's great. And then, and then I think there's a certain amount of that. Like when you go home and talk to Neil about it, I think the point is, is that that's something that you really invested yourself in. You learned about it. You had answers to the questions that Neil had about it and was able to twist uh, a yes out of Mr. Nell. Yeah, I don't know if I twisted it uh, per se. I think Neil's a very logical guy. What, a, mm. what about the rent to own proposition resonated with you? So to be honest with you, what we ended up doing originally when she brought this idea, we need to look at how we're going to set our future up. We ended up getting a realtor and going and looking at properties in Oshawa. Uh, rental properties. So we thought, okay, that's maybe the way we start. And as we walk through these, and trust me, I wish we'd bought them now because we'd be that much further ahead because of where the market's gone, but you don't know what you don't know. And as we walk through some of these properties, one of them was a hoarder's house. And you basically walk through the boxes and like, that's her, her direct line to her family room and kitchen was through these boxes and magazines. And I was like, oh my God, uh, what the heck is this? And then we walked through another house of a single dad who had two kids and the floor, the carpets were worn right down to the subfloor. And I'm like, listen, I can't do this. Like I can't, without putting money into these properties, so these people live like better lives. I can't do that. And then how are we going to make money if I can't bump rents to cover the expenses that I'm putting into these properties? So Rachel then went away and came back with the idea of rent home. And as we looked into it and we started doing the training with this, this gentleman, I was like, this is awesome. Like we can a secure the property uh, with a down payment. You know, they have a goal, which is to build up their down payment, build up their credit and buy the home at the end. Um, so it just seemed like the right approach at that time where I could mix both, you know, making money, not having to worry about being a landlord and getting those three o'clock calls because the toilet, I know that's a stereotype, but that's what we hear. Um, and at the same point, we get to help somebody. And I think that's what it all came down to, because after Rachel was diagnosed, you know, now she's 14, 15 years clear. It was all about how do we give back, right? She's come through this. We want to give back in some way. And, you know, we weren't in a position to donate millions of dollars to the hospital. So we're like, we can help other families take a step forward, right? Families that have had the same kind of impacts that we have had. And if that's what we can do, then that's how we give back. And that's really how we got started. We we found an ad, believe it or not, in a local paper in Markham of a family that was going through in vitro and had run up a large credit card tab trying to have a baby and they couldn't make their payments. So they ended up selling their house to, to basically pay off the credit card. But because <clears> they've been <throat> a few times, they couldn't qualify for another mortgage. So we did a rent home with them and everyone won. It was an amazing experience. And from their family, friends, they just started coming to us and saying, we want to do what you're doing. Like, how do we make the money you're making, but by helping some and doing some good at the same time. And that's sort of where Clover Properties began. So you guys started taking on partners basically right away? Um, not right away. I think we did the first um, the first few on our own. We we were able to refinance our personal residence because even back in two thousand and nine, there was really good equity sitting in there, and that was another excuse me that was another point of contention because Neil's like, "What are we doing? We're refinancing the roof over our head, putting it into some rent to own deals, and 
now we're, you know, we, we're more at risk and blah, 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 blah. Um, <laughs> you know, then you have to, to have the rent down strategy and then how to finance it. He, he, the concept of taking money out of your home rather than paying down your mortgage faster, because we're always kind of, I guess we were taught, all of us were taught that having a mortgage is bad. You want to pay down that mortgage sooner than that 25 years and be mortgage free, debt free, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And I have learned through my experience in talking to other investors that no, 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 you want to leverage, you want to use your property to, to get more properties. So for him, this was a foreign concept as well. So just when I thought I was making progress with doing rent jobs, I got the snag with the financing bit, but he got over it. Yeah, I K-N-O-W more now than I did back then. So I was very afraid of mortgages, like all of those things were like, it's very tough. I just go to work. I work my tail off. I put money in the bank and then the bank does what it needs to do with the mortgage. And that's kind of how it was up until this point. And then as we started mm -hmm. to dig into it, it's like, you know what? I, I like this stuff. Now that I've actually opened my mind to how mortgages operate, uh, I like the fact that we could use our house to make money for us. Right. And, and that's sort of how we got started. And, and now here I am as a mortgage agent. It's quite the Quite the um, 180. Yeah, the 180 from back then, for sure. Yeah, and it's actually something I love now. So let's talk about the progression then. So you did a first couple deals yourself, and then you said people started to come out of the woodwork, saw what you were doing, and uh, take it from there. Tell us, tell us about that. Well, I think it was more about uh, home buyers get you know home buyers kind of you know have similar networks. And I think the phone started ringing from home buyers wanting our help. And not necessarily home buyers that we could help. Some of them were already trapped in rent to own deals that were unsavory. And that's when we clued in that there's a lot of people out there that were misinformed and had in, in, incorrect expectations of what a, a, a true rent to own deal is. Neil spent a lot of time re-engineering rent to owns because through our coaching process, although we learned a lot of what to do, we also learned of what not to do. So Neil identified gaps and he tweaked those gaps. So our rent to own was rock solid. And that's what made him more com comfortable in pursuing real estate investing in the first place, because he mitigated a lot of the risk. Rent to owns were already you know, lower risk, but Neil took it to the next level with his low risk approach, which is great. Um, and other people would contact us saying, I'm stuck in this rent to own. Th these are the contracts. How can you help me get out of it? How can you help me, you know, salvage the situation? And Neil would spend hours counseling people on top of spending hours traveling across Ontario to interview other home buyers who are applying to work with our rent to own program. I don't even know how, how, how did you even have those hours in the day on top of working and commuting on the go train? I don't even know how, how we did it, but I think in that process, we just, we really realized that it's not just about the money. It's not about the transaction. We really wanted to educate people on how a powerful rent to own can be and um, hopefully inspire more home buyers to take control of their understanding of it. Cause we under, we realized there was a huge gap in knowledge um, and what, rent to owns are and what they aren't. So that actually brought us to the next phase of our journey is to write a book. So instead of spending hours on the phone, counseling people on how they got into a messed up rent to own deal and how we couldn't necessarily salvage it, we thought, you know what, how else can we pay it forward? So having zero background in writing books, we decided that we're going to tackle another challenge. And we uh, wrote a book, uh, almost, I don't know, how many, 200 pages? 100 and something. 100 something? It's 100 pages. Uh, we, wrote down, uh, we wrote down pretty much everything we knew. At the time, I think we had done about 50 rent-to-own deals. So we had a, enough knowledge to share. And we wanted to uh, make, make this available as a resource, not for investors, because investors were the ones that were messing things up. But the home buyers needed to take responsibility for what rent to own can and cannot do for them. And because there was no resource, they were not being a they were not able to educate themselves. So that's what we wanted to do. We kind of made it our mission to educate people on the nuances. It was all about just giving them the tools so that they could protect themselves, right? Because some of the calls I was getting, 
you know, a $300,000 house. They were making $5,000 a month payments because they had no money down and the investor wanted to protect themselves. So they wanted $3,000 a month for them. Uh, some of them, they had agreements that were written on napkins. And I'm like, what? Like, how is this even possible? How do you make an investment like this and not protect yourself? So that's where the book really came from is these calls. You know, and it was, uh, and I know, I know it had a bad name at the time, Rento, and it was quite predatory. You know, we heard rumors, and I, I can't really validate, but we heard rumors that, where people were using Craigslist and saying, hey, if you give me $10,000, I'll send you a key to a home that you can now that key. And apparently the key wouldn't work in the door, like shock. But, you know, the 10000 then had disappeared or people running open houses for rent to homes where they put a jar down and whoever would put 10000 into the jar would be, you know, in the running for getting this house. And then the people would disappear before anybody would actually get the house. There's just so many things that were happening. So it just was logical to write a book where people could actually reference the book and say, listen, here are questions I need to ask. You know, I'd get on the phone with people and I'd be like, do you have any questions? No, I'm okay. It's not possible that you could be okay. It's not possible. Like you haven't even asked me one question about who I am, why I do this, whatever, how I run numbers, and you're willing to just blindly trust that I'm going to put you into a good situation. So the book was really a manifestation of that for sure. And what's the what's the book called and where can people pick that up? Is it on Amazon? Yes, Rent Down Essential Guide for Home Buyers, and it is available on Amazon.ca. Perfect. So how do you go from uh, you know giving back and stuff, 50-ish properties, and then you scale it up to 500. How did that, how did that look? Because it's, it's hard enough to get to 50. A lot of this. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was, there was a lot of, you know, obviously in order for us to build up and we just, what we did is we threw out a Kijiji ad and we were getting 40, 50 calls a week from Kijiji, only Kijiji. And the, the, the truth is, I mean, many of these calls were a waste of time you know, 20 minutes talking to somebody about something that they were not able to do, right? And unfortunately, I felt compelled to kind of let them down lightly and explain how they can improve their situation. And it took a lot more energy than I thought it would. Um, but on the flip side, because we were getting all these calls, Rachel then had to start to figure out how we were going to invest in these properties because we couldn't invest in all of them. And our family and friends were kind of tapping out because you know, we're 50 deep at this point. So she started working on, uh, you know, getting on stages and so on. Like, you know, she did a lot of presentations and we started getting a nice following as a result of that. And the investor base grew and investors were telling other investors. We had one investor who had 10 rental, rental properties, basically. And when he heard about rent to own from his bank manager, he sold all 10. And now he's done 10 rent to owns. Well, he's on to like number 18 now. He just cycles them because there's no risk, no no hassle, right? He got to a point where on his 10 rentals, he was replacing three roofs at once. And he's like, I'm not cash flowing for months now because I have to cover the costs on this. And he wasn't cash flowing much to begin with. So at the time he was, you know, to rent to own, he was going to cash flow $600, $700 a month. And he loved that. So mm -hmm. he cycled everything into mm -hmm. rent to owns. Now the cash flow, and we'll get into this obviously with COVID, the cash flow is a little bit better now. But, uh, you know, we do still have a lot of investors who come to us who are like, listen, I sold three rentals. I need to buy three rent owns. I've heard from a friend that this is better cash flow. I don't have to sit around waiting for the hundred bucks a month, and especially with the market being where it is. It's hard to cash flow in a rental unit now, right? It's, it's really more challenging than ever before. So she had to build up the investor base and... Yeah, I, th I think how we ultimately did it, Sandy, was we divided and conquered. There's different skill sets that we brought to the table. And we really, um, at first, I think we were just kind of over overlapping other than on the numbers part. I'm not a numbers person, so all the spreadsheet stuff is all Neil's department. But on other things, we tended to kind of like, you know, we both took tenant buyer inquiry calls and um, we both would spend hours counseling and and I realized that I suck at that process, whereas Neil was very good. He got very good at streamlining the conversations to get to the heart of what he needed to understand to, to determine if we can help those people. And I got better at speaking about what it is we do and raising awareness about what a good rent to own is and what a bad rent to own is. And just, just by sharing our knowledge and our experience that um, obviously attracted a lot of people to, to inquire on the investor side. So Neil handles the tenant buyer piece and I handle the investor piece and, and they work in tandem to essentially scale and, and grow. When you say tenant buyer, just to clarify, that is you're generally doing mostly tenant buyers 
scenario first, right? So you're finding, yeah, yeah, finding the, a- the potential buyer, then matching them up with a home that fits them, bringing the investor in to purchase it. That's yeah, exactly. talk about the process. Like, like, walk us through what it looks like, what a rent own is, basically. Yeah. Let's do that. So there's a couple of ways of doing rent homes from an investor's point of view. Sometimes you can acquire property below market value, add some lipstick and charge uh, an appreciated price um, and then bring in people into that property who will rent to own it. They give you a down payment of, you know, I, I don't know, different different investors want, you know, different amounts. We would want to see a 5% down payment, but some investors were accepting, you know, six, seven, ten, twelve thousand dollars um, and then through the two or three or four year rent to own cycle, those people would ideally build up um, a better credit rating. They would also be saving some money on the side to be able to qualify for a mortgage with a bigger down payment. Um, and those types of that's a, what I call a property first rent to own and property first rent to owns from our experience had a very low success rate because uh, people didn't really have too much choice in terms of what properties to go for. Uh, they weren't really getting the the counseling and the guidance they needed to improve their credit situation and build up a bigger down payment. They were just kind of left to their devices. And after, you know, in some cases, after six to 12 months, those people would realize they don't even love the property that much to, to go through all of this rigmarole to become mortgage ready. And they would abandon the agreement and the investor would get stuck with the property and would have to, you know, exercise various exit strategies to salvage the deal. So we realized early on that that wasn't the model for us. We decided to go with what we call a people first model. So somebody would go to a bank, the bank turns them down because they might have too much debt, imperfect credit, not enough down payment, whatever their circumstances might be. So we can take those people with with ideally a 5% down and some credit blemishes, um, determine what their budget is based on the, the lending rules. And then they basically go house hunting. They get to pick a property that makes sense for their, their budget and their lifestyle. And we vet those properties to make sure that they're a good fit. Um, and we run numbers, we negotiate the contracts essentially. And once everything is laid out, once the rent to own um, nooks and crannies are identified, we bring in um, an investor that's sitting on our waiting list to essentially work on the acquisition of that property. So people first, property second. I like that. I like the sounds good. People first, like I, it is good, but it sounds good. Just uh, that mindset, I guess, from it, because um, you're helping the, you're helping everyone in it, right? So, where where did you end up um, purchasing these properties, or or where are you doing that today? Is it all over the place? Is it pretty centralized, or how far do you go? Pretty central for Ontario. We do all of Ontario, so anywhere from Ottawa right through to Windsor. Um, now, we don't go to the more remote areas. If it's not an area that I can get to easily, we probably wouldn't work there because if there is a problem that I have to make a trip, I don't want to drive eight hours to get there or take planes. So we typically don't go much further north than Huntsville. Um, and then we go all the way down to Fort Erie. So it's quite a large area. Uh, it's, you know, Specifically, we don't focus on one area. It's where the tenant buyers want to buy. And as long as we've qualified them and they have the income and, you know, they aren't at risk of potentially losing their job due to COVID right now, uh, and we take all of this into account, um, it's where they want to buy. Because the the important thing to remember is, number one success factor, they got to love the property, right? And that's where property first sometimes fails, right? Because they're not emotionally invested in the property. And 12,000, as an example, we've seen this many times where an investor will say, listen, I've got an empty property. I just want to get somebody in there. I'll take 10 grand if that's what it takes to get them in there. And if they fail, I keep their 10 grand. Well, that's the sort of the unsavory side of rent to owns. And that's not the right mindset to have. But at the same point, those typically fail because there's no emotional investment whatsoever. This is a big investment for a tenant buyer or you know a home buyer. And not only are they financially needed uh, that investment, but they also need to have the emotional side. So number one success factor is always they've got to love the house. So anywhere across Ontario where they love the house, as long as the area makes sense. Now we don't buy farms and we don't buy hobby farms and we don't buy rural property on third, you know, 30 acres, for example, because those are harder properties to exit from. But it has to make sense with our exit strategies as well. And most investors see that. So yeah. Well, let's talk quickly about a couple of potential pitfalls. I know you said that this was, you know, the most um, risk adverse uh, way to invest for you anyway. So let's talk about why you thought that. Yeah. Um, So number one, 
for me, number one was I'm securing the property with a deposit from the tenant buyer, right? And if they're coming in with four or five percent, I I hold that money if they fail. That becomes non-refundable. So from a risk standpoint, you know, I'm kind of like the bank now. I, I get to determine what my risk level is, and at five percent, I don't feel that there's much risk. Right. If they're coming in with thirty thousand on a six hundred thousand dollar purchase and they walk away, I'm keeping thirty thousand, which will allow me to cover off anything that needs to be done to the property, and then potentially selling the property at a higher price. So that was number one for me. Number two, um, because they are emotionally invested, you know, they don't want to walk away from these properties. They love this house. This is a house that they would have bought if they could qualify for a mortgage themselves. So they see their family there long term. So that's also, you know, another way to offset the risk is because they're not going to fail if they really, really are determined to make that happen. Mm -hmm. Those were things for me anyway that were really key. I think the other thing that we talked about way back when, when I was trying to get Mr. No on board, um, I think the we were intimidated as as first time investors back in 2009 we didn't really know much about real estate or anything at all and our network didn't include you fine gentlemen um or people like you so we really didn't know how to to bounce ideas off and it was intimidating for us to hold a property for six seven eight years before we could actually have enough mortgage pay down to see some cash flow coming in um that long-term hold was daunting for us and especially if we have to deal with tenants and toilet issues along the way so because we didn't have these tenant and toilet concerns with rent to owns we didn't feel that we would be compromising our monthly cash flow or overall our ROI projections because you know if the toilet gets clogged and the plumber needs to be called the tenant buyer handles maintenance and repairs it's not on us it's not on our dime if there's a leak if you know if the, if there's any major breakdown including the furnace including a big ticket item like the furnace it's on them so our our cash flow and our overall you know uh, profitability with this deal was pretty predictable and that uh, was really important for us because when we were um, in the process of planning how are we going to exit the corporate world and reliance on a corporate paycheck you need to be able to have a stable paycheck to you know to offset your lack of job income and this was one of the only strategy the way that Neil set it up I have to I have to give them props. The way you set up the rent own strategy for us was to allow us to have that predictability and consistency of profits and cash flow so that we could exit not just my job, eventually we exited Neil from his corporate gig too. Okay. Now that sounds fantastic. What we like to do here though too sometimes is dig into what some of the problems that can happen, right? And and there always is some. We get through them by talking about them, by learning from people like you on what to do when the problems arise. But let's talk about some things that have went wrong maybe. So so out of close to 500 rent owns, our success rate is about 90, 91%. Um, that, those are people that exit into the home on their own mortgage. Now, mm -hmm. to your point, there are potential pitfalls where we can't and I'm certainly not a relationship specialist. You know, uh, my wife will attest to that. Um, so I'm not able to help people who are struggling in the relationship. And we do get these calls from time to time where they're separating or, you know, it, it gets a lot more graphic than that, depending on who's calling me and, and what the other person is to them now. And they don't want to be in that home because he was there or she was there. So as a pitfall, sometimes relationships deteriorate and they want to move out. So there are solutions to that. And as an investor, of course, you always own the property. So it's not really a pitfall if you can sell it and make more money. Um, it's still a benefit, although nobody really does this so that people can fail. So when they do fail, you know, it's about trying to figure out how do we, is there a way actually to make this work for them? So can they sublet a room? Can they sublet half the room? Can a family member move in and help them? Can we sell it? You know, we've actually done a, a rent to sell, which is a little bit different than a rent to own, and that the, the person in the home who was doing the rent to own and the investor worked together to sell the property for a much higher price. This was about two years ago, and they split the profits. So the investor but, got their full return. But what was the issue in that case? The tenant buyer did not want to take ownership of the property? No. Oh, the condo. It was right. a condo building. It was actually a condo in Midtown Toronto, condo town. And when they went to get mortgage financing, the bank wouldn't touch the condo corp because the status cert wasn't good. 
So when there's something to do with the reserve funds, so they we were they were unable to qualify. And between the two of them, they ended up selling it for cash. Somebody came in with a, a no finance, no inspection clause. They paid a hundred thousand more, you know. And this was back in I guess just before the stress test came out, when the market was taking that really nice trending upwards um, action. So they ended up selling the property, and they ended up the investor got his full return plus mm-hmm. for the sale on the other side. And the carrot for the tenant buyer was to maintain the property, make it look great for when they were showing, and he would get a portion of that as well. So in a bad situation, even like that, which is very, very rare, like that's less than less than 0.01% of that's going to happen. But in those situations, there's always a solution. It's just a matter of figuring out what it is and what's going to work for that situation. But typically the investors don't have a lot of risk because they always own the property. Mm-hmm. I think I think the other aspect I think that a lot of investors are, are curious about, well, what happens with non-payment? Um, the COVID has obviously impacted a lot of landlords where people were unable to pay their monthly rent. Um, and you think that this would be a standard risk with, within pretty much every real estate investing strategy. But we found out, um, it took a pandemic, we, we found out that this strategy, the way we have set it up, has actually been pretty um, pandemic proof. Pandemic proof. Yeah, we called it COVID. It's a COVID proof strategy because because we're dealing with the home buyer mentality. The risk of non payment is actually less, and in fact, I think it's been less during the pandemic than before the pandemic. Like for non payment, what what kind of what causes a non payment issue to come up? Even though it's rare. Yeah. So, you know, obviously with COVID, there were jobs that were shut down for a period of time. There were, you know, storefronts that were shut down. And some of our tenant buyers are entrepreneurs with a storefront. They have since caught up. We created a payment plan for them. You know, it worked out really well. Everything is back on track. But before that, you might run into situations where, and I know this is archaic, but checks were being used. And a check would be deposited. And seven days later, we'd find out that, oops, a car payment had come out before the check actually cleared. So then they they might Mm -hmm. bounce. It might take them two more weeks to get caught up. But typically, we were finding that most people, 97, 98% of the, the tenant buyers in our program, were actually making their payments within the month. So even if it wasn't on the first, they would communicate their issue. We would, you know, we would always advise our investors to keep one month in the account. So you're never going to have any issues. And then they would always be catching up within that month. Uh, usually within the 14 days that we might send out an N4 um, for non-payment. So usually within that 14-day window, they would have already caught up. I think actually in close to 500 rent zones, we've only been to landlord tenant board maybe 10 or 12 times. Because um, usually, again, you're dealing with a very different type of person or a different type of clientele. They're not renter mentality. They don't care to screw the landlord. They they actually want to own this home. And they are very grateful that they've been given an opportunity that no one else would have given them, right? The banks weren't giving it to them. Even if they've been banking with that bank for 25 years, the banks were still saying, no, sorry, it doesn't work for us. And now they were getting the opportunity to get back on their feet. So, yeah. The risks are low and they're manageable. I think that... Yeah. That's what we've identified, and that's yeah, why there's, Mr. A of, there's a lot yes. of a lot of ways to to fix it when they come up, right? There's a lot of flexibility, I guess, in in terms of how they get fixed. Um, as yeah. long as you're as long as you're as long as you kind of have the know-how of how to do it, and you have the the people around that can help uh, make it happen, right? Are they as profitable? Are they as profitable now then, or are like cash flow wise? Are they the same? Are they better? Or is it more tough in this market with the price? Because the prices are also going up like crazy now too. Does that affect the cash flow or what's what's been the the feel on that for the last year or so yeah so so that's yeah so in the context of covid sandy it's a really great question we get a lot of people saying you know how how has covid impacted rent to owns have they slowed down are there more risks well we actually identify kind of there's three ways that rent to owns have been enhanced and improved by COVID. It's, it's sad to say, but uh, it is a COVID-proof strategy. And one of those ways is definitely cash flow. Cash flow has gone through the roof. We're averaging right now about $1,000 in cash flow per property after all expenses have been paid. And in situations where we're using our HELOC as a source of down payment, because when we're dealing say with a $500,000 property, we have to put in about 100,000, sorry, $500,000 property, about $100,000 of our own cash has to be tied up. So if we're pulling that from a HELOC, there's obviously going to be an expense against that. So even if we have a HELOC in the mix, we're still seeing a 
a rock solid cash flow of about $800 a month using the bank's money, infinite returns with strong cash flow. So the cash flow is driven. Yes, real estate values are going up high, higher, but the cash flow is influenced uh, largely by um, interest rates coming down. So we've seen the you know uh, mortgage rates are holding quite low and they're going to continue to stay low which is great that's in favor of cash flow and then HELOCs are also fairly uh, cheap to use as well so that combination is is driving up the cash flow significantly and then just to offset the risk and, and to answer your question Sandy about the cost of homes you know uh, what we're finding is that due to COVID as well, people aren't commuting, so they no longer have to live in Toronto. They're now moving outside, and they did have a bank account that had some savings in it, but they never had that intention of buying a home because they didn't need to. They liked the fact that they could walk to work downtown or take a, a, a subway or you know whatever the case was. They would easily get to work from that place, but now they're staying home all day, and you know. I would probably think it would drive me crazy if I was in a one bedroom with my partner and we were both working in there at the same time, all day, all night, every day, every night. <laughs> it would be enough to make me insane as well. So a lot of these people are now shifting and shifting gears and they're looking outside the city. But when they're getting outside the city and they have great income, they're now finding that that 5% they had isn't enough because their credit isn't perfect. Right. And the banks are saying, eh, come back and see us in a year once your credit's been boosted. Well, that year could change the prices even more. Right. And maybe even get them to a point where they're being priced out. So the, the clientele we're dealing with is much better than it's ever been as well, because we're getting professionals, young professionals, older professionals, middle aged professionals. It doesn't matter with good down payments who weren't planning to buy, but now are ready to buy. And because the banks are still saying no, they're coming to rent to own and, you know, they're making for great tenant buyers. And you guys have a have a sample deal that people can look at, right? Where do they see that? All they have to do is go to our website, um, hellocashflow.ca. Uh, there's a form on that website. Just fill it out and we can get you started. So anyone who uh, can qualify for financing and is looking for a kind of the no tenants, no toilets approach uh, to earning high cash flow over a three or four year window, um, it might be a, a great opportunity to, to to check it out. And so we touched on the HELOC a little bit there um, a minute ago, but let's talk about how uh, your your investors are funding these deals so the, so as investors basically um we qualify for financing um under the same you know uh ideally a lender rules as uh, as any other investment property because from from a, a bank's point of view we're technically buying uh, an income property that'll have a renter in it because obviously the tenant buyers are in a rental agreement first uh, for the first three, four years, and then they um, will exercise their option to purchase and exit the deal. So we're technically buying a rental property and we need to qualify um, as buyers of a rental property. So that means 20% down. Um, that means, you know, perfect credit, capacity to borrow, all of the same rigmarole that would apply to, to any property. So investors who have capacity um, to borrow with good credit, are definitely benefiting. And then of course, investors who have money sitting in their in their properties. So a home equity line of credit, if they're able to pull it out and use it as a source of down payment, it is a great way to use the bank's money to generate uh, very lucrative returns. And how many uh, properties do you guys have at one time? Like how many are you cycling through at one at any given time? So you're managing how many right now? Yeah, right now I've got 84 active rent-to-owns that we're watching and supporting all the way through. That's amazing, so, guys. That is absolutely amazing. Congratulations. What, is what, is, what, what does managing look like? Is that is that you doing a lot of hands-on stuff? Is it you just having some like people in different areas or what does that look no, like? It's all me. <laughs> and it's managing all the payments, tracking all the payments, making sure that their credits are being counted. It's answering the phone call because believe it or not, you know, a big part of this is supporting them in their credit journey, right? Yeah. So it's answering the call when they want to buy a car a month out from getting their mortgage. And it's like, no, 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 no. Let's talk about why this is not a good thing. Um, and, and then there's talks about, you know, I need to get a new furnace. What do you suggest I do? Believe it or not, actually, we have only had three replaced furnaces in all this time as well. So we've been very fortunate with furnaces and home inspections have been 
you know, that's our saving grace most of the time. We will never buy a property a home inspection or a pre-inspection because we want to know what's wrong with those properties um but yeah it's 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 incredible it really is we're man i think uh it boils down to managing the people uh rent to owns are not like a typical rental property where you need to manage the property because things break down and you know things need to be updated with rent to owns it's really not about that because as i said the the home buyers that are in the property handle all maintenance and repairs mm -hmm. but they need to be managed they're in this situation because they needed some some extra support and some hand holding and we learned this early on and this is what um i think contributed to our 90 percent success rate because home buyers that enter the rent to own process it um need some some hand holding they need some guidance they need someone they can call and the average investor doesn't have the time or the capacity to support these tenant buyers on their journey and we became that um that point of contact and our investors as a result benefit from a fully turnkey no nonsense um you know lucrative cash flow investment that turns over every three or four years and neil has it down to a science it's very systemic and he's very good at it. And I can't take all the credit because we do partner up with a mortgage company out of Brampton who works with these people from month three. So looking at their credit, making sure the credit's trending, trending in the right direction, giving them advice on how to repair their credit. And then I'm always back up for that. So, you know, who do they call first? Usually it's me and there are months where I'm on the phone all day, every day. It's kind of crazy answering questions about how to get the most bang for their buck with their property. I want to invest a little bit of money into my closet organizer or whatever the case might be. Is that going to improve the value of the home to, uh, you know, again, like I said, we've had this happen. We're a month out. They were qualified already a month out. Then they went and they bought a very expensive SUV and the bank decided to do a last minute check and then turn down the application for their mortgage. So they ended up having to sell the truck in order to get the house. And it was a logical move for them because there was a hundred thousand in equity in that property, right? It was a, it was just a massive opportunity for them to get so far ahead. So they ended up getting the house in their name, and then they bought their truck, which was the way to take it. So just being there to answer their questions, being there to support them. Um, there are months where, yeah, like you say, it's not that crazy, and everything is sort of moving in the right direction. But there are also times where we have to check in on things where insurance might do a check on the house and they want some things repaired. Well, we need to be following up to ensure those are being repaired uh, in a timely fashion for insurance. As an example, making sure that um, fire alarms are being tested and batteries being replaced, making sure there's CO2 detectors on every floor. So there's quite a bit of management, um, especially at the beginning, but it's definitely rewarding, especially at the end where they, they get their mortgage and they thank you for all the help. It's quite amazing. How do you now? How do you? Has there been issues with the pricing of the like the sale price at the end being too low or too high? Have you come across many of those issues? Because so, you lock in you lock in the appreciation at the beginning, right, at a certain rate. Yeah, honestly, one property so far has come in under. And what's ridiculous about this is we found out that the appraiser actually did the appraisal from home, didn't even come to the property, and they used three comparables that weren't comparable. One of them was a rental unit that was smashed all the pieces, like there was holes in the garage. It was ridiculous what they used. And they actually appraised it 30,000 below the actual price that we were selling it for. So we gave a one year extension and the following year it appraised for 60,000 more. So it doesn't really make sense. I mean, there's nothing consistent about how the appraisals are done, but for the most part, I'd say 99% of the time we're, we're, we're usually a little bit light. The equity is higher. Um, which is what we want, right? We want that carrot. I can't stress enough how important that is to getting people to the finish line. Is there a, a, a number that you always go with or does it vary depending on the, the situation on, on what that appreciation number looks like? Yeah, so typically it's four to 5% and we're constantly checking to see what the comparables look like. Now I know that that might seem low to a lot of people who are looking at uh, appreciation now at 15, 17, 20%. But if next year it goes down to 3%, you know, it all averages out, right? And when you know you have a fixed price at the end, you know what your results are going to be and they're consistent, you know you're going to be getting cash flow. And I guess you know you never have a repair or, you know, any sort of maintenance on the property. Those are sort of returns that you can't get in a rental, right? And even though I know that we've had people all the time, well, why would I leave money on the table? 
well, you're not really leaving money on the table if the market shifts next year. And we don't know what the market's going to do, right? We did see it shift a couple of years ago. I don't think it's going to shift at the lower price points, but if you're buying an $800,000 property and you're trying to rent it out and next year it's worth $750 because, well, there's no demand at that price point. All of a sudden, you know, you're, you're sitting in a different position than you thought you would be. And a rent to own, it's pretty consistent. And like I said, we've, we have such a high success rate that our investors, they sell and they move right back into another rent to own. I, th I think it really boils down to it's not really about, um, you know, rent owns are not like buy rent holds. They're not like uh, a flip. They're not like a burr. They have a very different, um, uh, they, it's a very different strategy and it accomplishes totally different things. Rent to own is probably one of the strongest cash flowing type of opportunities on the market without tenants and toilets hassles. It's a move in ready property. You don't have to worry about hiring contractors. You're cash flowing you know, eight to $1,000 a month from day one. And investors that don't want the hassles of having to burr a property or, or deal with, um, you know, the delays related to other strategies that defer the cash flow, um, they, they prefer the strategy. And I don't think that they're leaving money on the table. I think what we're doing is we're basically compounding the return on investment. We're, we're seeing 30% return on investment per year, combining cash flow and capital gains. So some people have to, you know, uh, do renovations to see 30% return on investment per year. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, or you have to hold a property for six years to get enough mortgage pay down to see 30% return on investment per year. So I think um, dollar for dollar, the strategy gives you a very strong rate of return, but it's just very compacted in a three or four year timeline. And it allows people to get ahead financially um through this strategy not just for the investor side but for the home buyer side but um it, it accomplishes completely different goals than a buy rent hold or a burr or or a, a flip right and i didn't say we were leaving money on the table that's what people usually say why would i and then you say to them real clearly how are you going to buy an eight hundred thousand dollar single family residence and rent it to cash flow how are you going to do that you can't people aren't paying four thousand dollars in rent right now you know, especially with COVID, a lot of people are looking to purchase. They don't want to rent. Yeah. Um, although although there are situations where there are rental bidding wars, um, which is also really crazy in my mind. But, you know, it all fits the market today. Well, I mean, if you are able to get this to a point where maybe there's six and every two months you're turning over one and you're constantly doing that and you've got it working like a machine, you know, it's about the success of the business, not each individual one and the the possibility that you might leave a tiny little bit of money that you could have accessed if you had put like ideally or theoretically, I guess, if you had just done it as a as a straight up flip, which is, you know, not not true either. Right. Because this is the only way that you can. This is the only way that you can access that money without really putting in any sweat equity into it exactly. you know i don't know but uh so you know what's next for you guys what are your big plans for the future <laughs> go big or go home um i th i think uh, covid has also uh alerted us to the fact that more home buyers need um the stability of home ownership. A lot of people, you know, when there's a lot of uncertainty, the only place that you really have is the roof over your head. And as a family with children, we completely relate to that. And if we can help more home buyers enjoy the stability of home ownership, I think that's, that's, you know, how do we help more people? I think that's our big plan, scaling it up and uh, going across Canada. Oh, interesting. What markets are you looking at breaking into first? Outside Montreal. of Ontario. Quebec. Montreal. Yeah. Great. Uh, have you already started that or? More close. Maybe. <laughs> Stay tuned for more news <laughs> coming soon. Okay. Will do. And then from there, Canada is your oyster from coast to coast. Yeah, maybe we'll start doing rent zones in Costa Rica. I was thinking the you same. Yeah. Buy them and, and, and renovate and we'll rent zone them. Okay. Yeah, we have to talk about this. Yeah. Rent-owned villas. There's definitely options. Yeah, we, we should get together and talk about something like that because, I mean, my my intention is to to keep on going, right? Like, you know, I'm not just 
just going to fix this place up and then move into it. Right. And, and sit on it. But, you know, it's to build a, to build a renovation business down there as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, definitely. And you know, what was fun is you guys like, you know, we don't know each other. Well, we didn't plan it out, but you guys happened to be down there at the same time as we were. And we, we got together a couple of times, had some dinner and went in the ocean and pool and whatnot. It's fun. And I saw, I, I saw everyone, so many people in the kind of investor, real estate investment community around, at least that are on my social media feeds were all seemingly in Costa Rica. So that was annoying. Thanks for that. <laughs> it's never too late, Sandy. We'll meet yeah. you there soon. Yeah. Well, guys, thank you. We've got some, uh, some uh, people in the feed here saying that uh, they appreciate your insights. So, uh, you know, you've shared a lot with us, I think. And how to really, like, really be successful, I think, happens when you do care about the people that you're working with, right? Like, that's a major point, I think, that people need to understand is the business isn't all about the bottom line. It's about keeping people happy so the business can run smoothly and everyone is successful, right? Um, So I think that's an important piece that you guys have really shared today. So thanks for coming on and, and, and uh, you know, giving everyone all your secrets for free. Thanks for having us. It was a pleasure. Uh, how can people get in touch with you? What's the best way? Best way is just to check us out on uh, hellocashflow.ca. Okay, perfect. Sandy, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, 289-389-6846 or sandy at mckayrealtynetwork.com. Did you have something else you wanted to ask them? Looked like you were going to ask them something else. <laughs> uh no 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 I'm, uh, we're all good all good okay and people can reach me at rob at mrbreakthrough.ca so thanks for joining us everybody we will see you next time